This is CouncilCast, part of the Legal Talk Network, and I'm your host, Karen Conroy. When you face a complex case outside your expertise, you bring in a co-counsel for next-level results. When you want to engage, expand, and elevate your firm, you bring in a marketing co-counsel. In this podcast, I bring in marketing experts who each answer one big question to help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hi, I'm Dr. Danny Brissell, America's leading reading ambassador, which is kind of ironic because I grew up hating reading. My father was a librarian and I always hated the public library. There was always, it always smelled funny. Uh, the furniture was uncomfortable. There was always some elderly woman always telling me to be quiet. There's always some homeless guy that thinks he's a vampire hanging out by the shelves. I always hated it. Uh, so now my, my mission is to, to bring the joy back in education in the workplace by transforming struggling and reluctant readers into more passionate and proficient readers. And I really thank you for having me, Karn. Oh, thank you for being here. I am also a proficient reader. And it's funny, your description of the library, because I've always loved reading. Uh And so I love the smell of a library. (laughs) And I don't necessarily love all the homeless people there. But you know, it's just sort of part of the cost of having these free spaces, I think. But yeah, I've always loved that feeling of the library. I suppose if one of my parents was associated Mm. with that, that kind of changes the experience for a person. So thank you for being here to begin with, and this is going to be a great conversation. We are just going to talk about reading and books in general and why that is, I mean, it's really kind of this amazing skill that we have as humans. So today's big question is, why do you need to read more? And so we have the expert here with us, and I, lo- I love that you're the, what did you call your title, the the reading ambassador? Yep, I'm a I reading ambassador. <laughs> I love that. I think there are so many people who started out as kids, and they just really didn't connect with reading. Is that part of your story? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest problems. I, I mean, I think that Schools do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read, but the question I always ask people is, what goes at teaching people how to read if they never want to read? I teach kids why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read a book. I want them to choose to do it on their own. And unfortunately, I think what happens is uh, a lot of people, they they get assigned reading in school. And that's what get. I mean, a lot of your audience, you get attorneys that are forced to read briefs all the time. And uh, I know when I was in graduate school, I'd spend hundreds, almost thousands of dollars on books. And I'd always at least throw in a John Grisham book. And people were like, why do you buy that book? And I'm like, if I'm going to spend $1,000 on books, I'm going to buy at least one book that I actually want to read. (laughs) Yes. I think the balance, there's so many good things in there that you were just mentioning. But the balance of finding things that even out, you know, because it is work for your brain Mm -hmm. and evening out the topics or the subject matter or whatever that is, that's a really important part of reading for me. I read on average a hundred books a year and I can't read the same. There's certain kind of genres that are my favorite, but I can't read like three of those in a row. I just, even if they are amazing award-winning books. And so people will ask me if I've read a book sometimes and I'll pull it up and I, and I'll say, you know what? I checked it out, but I, I didn't read it. And that doesn't mean it wasn't a great book and it wasn't something that I would have liked, but maybe the timing was bad. Maybe I just read two in a row that were the same kind of thing and I had to skip it and come back to it. So I have a fourth grader and she has this amazing teacher who 
when we had our initial uh, school meeting early in the year, she was talking about reading and how she really wants to foster this love of reading. And so we were having this conversation. I told her how I love to read. And she said, did you always? And do you think you were born with this skill? And I said, no, no, no. This is a skill that you, and and to me, it's like exercise. You really have to practice it. And so how did you go from kind of having as a kid, not necessarily a love for it to where you're at today? Well, that's a great question, Karen. I mean, I was really blessed. It wasn't until I started teaching in the inner city in South Central Los Angeles where I recognized, wow, I was I I had a lot of advantages growing up that I took for granted. I mean, both of my parents were in the home. We were lower middle class, but we never starved to death. We always had food to eat. My parents always read to us kids. They read in front of us, and we always had plenty of access to reading materials. And when I saw a lot of my students didn't have those experiences, I thought, shame on me. And it really became a passion to me on how do I instill that love of reading. Uh, You know, I I hear people all the time. They'll tell me, oh, I I don't have any time to read, Danny. I'm like, oh, yeah, who has time to read after you watch the game on TV, have a couple of beers, go out shopping? I have a friend that's a, a time management expert, and I always give him a hard time for that title. I'm like... There's no such thing as time management. There's only priority management. What you prioritize, you do. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So I've had different times in my life as well where reading was not the priority, um, like grad school for one, Mm -hmm. and then when my kids were newborns for two. And I really think my brain was honed in a different direction at the at those moments. It, I, I've read a lot about what happens to women's brains when they go through pregnancy and um, when you have newborns, and they literally shrink. And I literally could not pick up a brain and uh, uh, sorry, a brain. I could not pick up a book and focus for, as well because I had newborns. So. Yep. I had to then retrain my brains. And I did use some of those habit tracking apps. And I found, and I've told this to some of my friends who have kind of got back into the reading habit, set it for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Sit down and do 15 minutes and then close the book or close your Kindle or whatever it is you're reading on and let yourself just have those 15 minutes. And you're going to be amazed at how much reading you're going to get done every single day. Uh, and set the bar really, really low where you know, okay, there, I have no excuse for, I mean, I can do 15 minutes. I'm sitting here waiting mm-hmm. for my kids somewhere, or, you know, whatever the case might be. So did you do anything like that? Kind of how do you, do you have sort of a, a habit or an exercise of reading that you make sure that, that you keep up or what's your process for it? I, lo- I love that question, Karin. So I think most people have one of these things in their pocket. And if used properly, this is a wonderful tool. And so I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I'm always trying to learn things all the time. And what's great is on your calendar, you can schedule daily reminders to do things. And so, for example... I'm not one. I'm always impressed by people that they can sit there and quote scripture from the Bible with no problem. I've never been one of those people. And so what I've been doing is I've been, you know, so every day uh, at 1.23 p.m. I get an alert because I'm trying to learn James uh, chapter one, verses two through three. So consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Yes. Wow, you it. just did. You, you did just it. said you were you're not that person that can quote it. You just trying did it. to learn these things. There you man. Go. But I had seen the movie Dune, and I remember reading the book, and um, the book has this great thing in Dune called the Litany Against Fear. And so every day on my phone at nine eleven. I get this update and it's, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little debt that brings total obliteration and goes on. 
I'm trying to learn. I always loved in Shakespeare, Henry V, uh, Act Four, Scene Three. So every day at four o three, I'm oh learning. My gosh. The, I'm learning the Saint Crispian Day speech, which is about uh, fifty lines, where it's like, "What's he that wishes so? My cousin Westmoreland? No." My, and this is this is the speech where he eventually gets to the point where he's like, uh, "But we few, we humble few." We band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he never so vile. But I'm trying to learn that. And so this oh, is just a little cool. trick. I mean, I use this all the time. So like, for example, my wife and I got married on December 20th. And so every day at 1220, I have an update that says, tell your, your, your wife you love her. And a lot <laughs> of people say, well, that's not very romantic. I'm like, actually, it's very romantic. I actually yeah. do it. Most people yeah. have intention, but never do anything. Uh, yes. Every day at 1030, I, I send a, an inspirational message to my three kids, uh, you know, usually just kind of some funny quote and, hey, I'm proud of you. I love you. Uh, yeah. Have a great day. Um, but I mean, again, these are little things, you know, one of the tricks I always give to, to parents and teachers is whether I've taught all age levels from preschoolers to rocket scientists and whether I was teaching my little ones or my older ones, every single day I read aloud at least four poems to my students every single day. It takes less than five minutes. Uh, but think about that. Over the course of 180 school days, I've exposed my students to over 700 poems. I mean, when yeah. I was a kindergarten teacher on Thursdays, the kids would become poems because I make all my kids have to memorize at least 20 poems a year. And it's a yeah. great way to differentiate instruction. So I get like uh, Jose, one of my non-readers. He's like, I'm the sitter by Shel Silverstein. He's yep. like, Mrs. McTwitter, the babysitter. I think she's a little bit crazy. She yeah. thinks a babysitter is supposed to sit upon the baby. <laughs> then I got La Laura, one of my top students, and she's like, hi, I'm Mark Anthony from Julius Caesar by William Shakespeare. <laughs> Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar. Not And, you know, little girl, she memorized 50 lines from from uh, Julius Caesar. Where I got that idea from was the movie Kindergarten Cop. In that movie, Schwarzenegger gets his little ones to memorize the Gettysburg Address. And I thought to myself, huh, I wonder if that's possible. Yep. I'm convinced. I'm just totally convinced, Karen. If I was a better teacher, I could teach calculus to little, little oh, yeah. ones. The 100%. great thing about little kids is they don't know what they can't do yet. Right. You know, exactly. It's, it's the rest of our lives. I mean, your audience, you got uh, trial attorneys. I mean, how many times have they, have they been told what they couldn't do? Exactly. I mean, it drives me nuts. Well, I mean, there's possibilities. Every day we have a choice. You can be the light or you can be the darkness. You can be Obi-Wan or you can be Darth Vader. I mean, choose to to focus on the positive, not the negative. I love that. And just even all the visuals of these little kindergartners practicing these poems, it's such an amazing brain exercise. Yeah. And so to come back to the analytical side of a lot of these lawyers, why they are sitting around, like you said, you painted this picture earlier of these lawyers reading briefs all day. Yeah. And the last thing they're thinking about doing is sitting down to a book. And yeah. they're thinking, my eyes are tired. My brain is tired. I'm tired in general. I just want to check out. So number one, why is it important? Why do they need to read more on top of everything else they're doing? And then we talked really briefly about this for a minute. Why should it be fiction or poetry or that kind of work instead of the type of thing they're reading all day at work, you know, all the nonfiction, the hard facts and the, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the, that's a lot to pack down, Karen. But I'll, I'll, <laughs> that's about 14 I'll, questions in one. Yeah. <laughs> 
So here's a quick tip for all the attorneys listening. I mean, in my research, over half of the Fortune 500 CEOs are dyslexic. And people don't realize this. Uh, there's lots of reading disabilities out there. All of them are curable. And by far the most undiagnosed reading disability is dyslexia. And what people don't understand is dyslexics tend to process information at an auditory rate very high compared to other people. So one of the first things I tell people is, Put on an audiobook. You know, Audible's fantastic. It counts. The research yeah. is very clear on this. It's just as good to be read aloud to as it is to read on your, your own. So I always tell uh, attorneys that are trying to chill out a little bit I mean, go on the Stairmaster or go for a walk and listen to an audiobook. Uh, yeah. It's one of the best ways to feed your mind. In terms of why it's important, I mean, I've read about plenty of readers that don't necessarily become successful or effective leaders, but I have never, ever read about an effective leader that is also not an avid reader, whether it's yes. in uh, politics. You know, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, even when he was president of the United States, they say read three books a day as president. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. President Clinton used to say the way he would calm down was he'd always read like uh, mysteries, novels. Uh, a lot of people forget that President Kennedy was at a press conference in, I think it was around 1960, and somebody asked him what he was reading, and he said, oh, uh, I'm reading this great spy book about this guy named James Bond, and because of that, Hollywood bought the rights to the James Bond books and made it into a movie series. Oh my gosh, that's a great story. Yeah, I have all kinds of Cliff Clavin random facts like that. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> you got, you know, wealthy people, Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world, he spends all day, every day reading. He'll brag about that. He reads all day. Uh, Elon Musk, depending on what day it is, I think is the wealthiest person in the world, and he reads a book a day. Uh, he was kind of interesting because he was bullied as a kid. And he spent all of his time in the library. He actually read every book in the library, started reading every book in the bookstore. Uh, just an avid, avid reader. Um, yeah. Athletes, you know, I was fortunate enough. I spoke in an event with uh, Tony Dungy, won the Super Bowl with the Indianapolis Colts. And he was basically telling all these guys in the audience, he's like, well, how do you make it to the professional football league? Well, you got to go to college. How do you get to college? Well, you need to learn how to read. And he said, I'll tell you right now that most athletes have the same skill set athletics-wise. The people that coaches look for are the guys that are thinking all the time, and those are the readers. LeBron James, uh, when the Miami Heat were in their first NBA Finals, uh, I could have kissed him because they showed a shot of him before the game in the locker room reading The Hunger Games by Suzanne oh, Collins. Oh, I love it. Oh, you know, that's so great. You look at the military. uh General Schwarzkopf was fluent in four languages and he could quote Shakespeare with no problem to you. I mean, these are the people, I'm, I'm always looking at leaders. Well, what is yeah. it that uh, they're reading? And yeah. I think I'm trying, I'm kind of in a roundabout way getting back to your question. They're not just reading, you know, biographies. I mean, they read poems, they yeah. read Shakespeare, they read the Bible, they read, uh, you know, and I, I think that we have to expand our definition of reading as well. I was with a fourth grade teacher and she's like, oh, uh, you know, Mario can't read. I'm like, well, Mario, in one hour's time, sent out about 20 texts to his friends. He emailed a couple of people. He surfed the web. He's highly literate. She's yeah. using a definition from 75 years ago. I mean, yeah. uh, <laughs> I was just doing a corporate training last week. I asked all these executives in suits, what was your favorite book growing up? And I'll tell you right now, Karn, 70% of the audience is like, 
Fantastic Four, Batman, <laughs> right. Spider-Man, comic books count, you yes. know, so, yes. and this is something I, I always point out to people, the research is really clear on this. It doesn't matter what you read. What matters is how much you read. It doesn't matter if you're reading James Joyce or James and the Giant Peach. People who read more read better. I can tell you right now, the little boy who only reads Captain Underpants is going to be a better reader than the little boy who refuses to read anything. Captain yes. Underpants is the gateway drug to Shakespeare. So hopefully, yes. I, in a roundabout way, I answered your question. <laughs> you did. And I think there's so much value in recognizing, you know, I will say, and I know you like kids books too, and you have like uh, lists of great, but there is so much going on in a kid's book, especially the the books that my kids have been reading. And oftentimes it's like a 20-page kid's book, but there is a story they have to, and they don't dumb it down. They have to really strategically figure out how to address these stories, tell it also visually, because a lot of these kids, you know, when they're one and two and three years old, they actually can't read yet. And so mm -hmm. they're hearing the story. They're looking at the, the images. And so there's really no category of book that is not in somehow expressing and relating to some kind of human experience. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Karen. I mean, the first yeah. book I used to read to my kindergartners was The Adventures of Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain. The first book I used to read to my graduating seniors was Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Yes. Seuss. And yeah. I want to make it very clear from day one, great literature has no grade level. I mean, I'll give yes. you a great book that everybody in your audience should read right now, a picture book called One by Catherine Atoshi. It's about this, it's about blue is a happy color. He wasn't, he wasn't vibrant like orange or regal like purple, but he was pretty happy being blue, except yeah. when red was around. Red was a hothead. Red would say, red is hot. Blue is not. And blue would start feeling a little blue. You know, oh. orange and green and purple, they... They, they always thought blue was good, and they, they, they wanted to speak up, but they didn't say anything to yeah. Red. They never put Red down. Well, one day, one shows up, and Red comes around and says, Red is hot, blue is not. And one says, you can't talk that way to blue. And all of a sudden, purple's like, yeah, you can't talk that way to blue. And all of a sudden, green and yellow and everybody else, they say, yeah, you can't talk that way to blue. And now red starts to feel bad. They're like, no, 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 we don't want you to feel bad. You can hang out with us, but we'll all, we'll all get along and be nice to one another. And then the very last page says, sometimes all it takes is one. Uh... <laughs> And I'm telling you, if I ever do a training for Congress, I'm going to start reading children's books to a lot of these people. I actually wrote a, a letter to the L.A. Times. They didn't print it because they're dumb. And um, <laughs> because there was an article and it basically accused the president and Congress as behaving like children. And the gist of my letter was that is such an insult to children. Yes. Because yes. children don't hold grudges. Right. You know, children, like they get in a fight and 10 minutes later, like this is my best friend. Yeah, you know, it's, right. a, it's adults that hold grudges. Yeah. I mean, and no, I don't see how anybody in Washington feels like anything is ever going to get accomplished when you call each other jerks all the time. And then right. all of a sudden you need somebody to sign your bill. How's that right. working out for you? I mean, yeah. it's one of the biggest messages I'm, I'm spreading around. We, we need to learn how to be able to disagree with one another without being disagreeable to one another. I don't yeah. have to agree with everything And just really said. recognizing those differences. There's another really beautiful kids book that my kindergartner was reading called Twig that I know that you would love. And it's yeah. all about... 
how the twig was one of those twig uh, bugs that uh-huh. kind of, you know, camouflaged and wanted so desperately to be friends with all the other bugs, but they couldn't see him because it was blending into the forest <laughs> and they couldn't see. And it's such a sweet and but really smart book about yeah. finding those kids that you can't necessarily see in those groups. And, you know, you could take that book and write a PhD thesis on these things, then all of a sudden people would think, oh yeah, that's that's respectful. That is very high level intelligence. But because it's in this thin little kid's book and illustrated, somehow people look at it differently. And there's kind of the stigma with, but it's a really beautiful story uh, about kind of human interaction, how, you know, groupthink problems happen all the time. And it's brought down to a kid's level, which is a lot harder to do than to throw thousands of pages of research at it and do a really high level intelligent. It's I, I keep relating it in my mind to Apple design, where making things clean and simple and straightforward is more complicated than just throwing everything, yeah. you know, and the kitchen sink at a design and just, you know, making it th- that's easier to do than taking away all of the clutter and all of that. Yeah, that's what Mark Mark Twain once wrote that. He he wrote to his father. He said, I'm so sorry this letter's so long, but I didn't have time to write a short one. And it's exactly, <laughs> exactly what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. It's much harder to abbreviate and keep yourself, mm-hmm. you know, succinct. So let's talk about let's let's assume we've got some people who are at that mental point where they just haven't really picked up a book in a while and they're trying to think and and they recognize that, okay, I know this is a good habit. So where, where are some good places to get started? What are some good kind of easy entry points to get that kind of muscle working again? And what are some good recommendations you have either for books or just in order to get that habit kind of What's the word I'm looking for? Kind of yeah, developing a reading habit. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I'm looking. Yeah, at. no, I, I mean, I was very blessed in seventh grade. My seventh grade reading teacher was a guy by the name of Will Hobbs, who became a best-selling young adult author. And Will was the first teacher to get me interested in reading. He had about five thousand books in his classroom, and every day at the beginning of class, he would tell us what he was reading. We would tell him what we were reading, and the rest of the fifty-minute period, we read. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, whenever that fin- is my dream class. Yeah, right it was incredible. That's whenever amazing. we finish a yeah, whenever we finish a book, we go up to Mr. Hobbs, he'd put down the book he was reading, look through our book, ask us three or four questions, and if he was satisfied with our answers, he gave us a point. Every book up to two hundred pages was worth one point. Every extra hundred pages was worth another point. You needed twenty five wow. points to get an A, and the top five point totals had their names written on the board. Oh. And I wanted my name written on that board yes. card. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne. 500-page book. Four-point nice. book. Nice. Also, an excellent Disney film starring James Mason and Kirk Douglas. And I didn't really feel like reading a 500-page book, so I took the book <laughs> up to Mr. Hobbs. He asked me four questions. I learned a valuable lesson that day. Books ain't always like the movies. <laughs> And guess what he did, Karin? He gave me the four points. And that's when I learned a great trick. Guilt works because I read every word of every page of every book from that point forward. Went well above and beyond what I had to do. I earned over 40 40 points in that class. He used the single greatest strategy. And this gets to the gist of your question. The single greatest strategy I've ever seen a person use to get a person excited about books. He found out what I was interested in, which which was football. And at least once a week, he'd come up to me with a football book. He'd be like, hey, Danny, check out this book on John Elway. I know you'll like it. What are yeah. the odds I open up that book? In my experience, yep. 
100%. doesn't even matter what age level. And the person might not read it, but they're going to open it. Also, in my experience, by the fourth time I do that with a person, they're going to try and read that book because there's nothing yeah. more powerful than somebody significant in our life, a, a teacher, a coach, a pastor, a parent, a, an older sibling. You know, so for your audience, we have a lot of litigators out there. So I, I, I was thinking about, I mean, because I love, uh, you know, Scott Turow was an attorney and on his commute uh, every single day, it was about an hour on the subway to and from work, and he would sit there on his legal pad, and that's how he wrote the book Presumed Innocent, and he became a best-selling attorney. Uh, you and I were sharing earlier, the guy that got me really interested in reading was uh, John Grisham. I just love yes. John Grisham. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know, you included, you said, oh, I thought The Firm was his first book. I'm like, actually, yeah. the first book he wrote was called A Time to Kill. He uh, he self-published that book. He, he self-published 5,000 copies. He only sold 10. His, his legal offices were stacked with his book. Nobody would buy. And then <laughs> okay. the second book he wrote was called The Firm. That was represented by Random House, went to number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And then they asked him, well, have you ever written anything else? He said, well, I wrote this book, A Time to Kill, but you probably can't sell any copies. And they're like, well, give us a shot. And that went to number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And anybody that's a Grisham fan will tell you a time to kill is the best thing he ever wrote. Yeah, everybody does mention that. And they you, you don't Love really it. hear them talking about the firm so much. And I feel yeah. like as a non-lawyer, the firm was, I have so many lawyers in my family. And I will also say that that's going to be the book recommendation that we'll uh, link to for the episode. But the firm, when I read that, I was like, why would you want to be a lawyer? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it really paints a very nice picture. I remember some ridiculous number of hours a week that the main character was having to work yeah. you know, yeah. as like, an, yeah, exactly. like a lowly associate. As long as you bill for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was like, uh, okay, this is not for me. So yeah, you guys I all have that. And that's what I'm always looking for. Well, because I'm so I'd share with you, I have one of the top book clubs online, lazyreaders.com, and all of your audience is invited. It's a free subscription. Once a month for the rest of your life, I update it with 10 book recommendations, three or four adult it. level, three or four young adult level, and three or four children's level books, all under 250 pages. So you have something you can read when you're stuck in a boring meeting. But at one point, I had a bunch of attorneys asking me for book recommendations. And so I'm reading all these different uh, legal thrillers and everything. But yeah. non Fiction wise, one of the books that just is one of the best books I've ever read is uh, Helter Skelter by Vincent Bugliosi. He was the prosecutor who prosecuted Charles Manson in the Manson oh. murders. And that book, oh my gosh, I think it was about 650 pages, which is about 500 pages longer than I usually read. And I, I mean, I just devoured that book. I, I was just so gripped with it. A friend of mine, uh, Patty Tannenbaum, her husband, Bob Tannenbaum's written about 23 bestsellers. And I think he was best, best friend. He, he used to be the mayor of Beverly Hills. He used to be uh, best friends with Vincent Bugliosi. I mean, there's so many great legal thrillers out there. There uh, are. I mean, so if, if you're an attorney and that's what you want to do, but maybe you're an attorney and uh, you love uh, Ohio State basketball, well, right. then I encourage you to read about Ohio State basketball. I had a kid when I was teaching second grade, I had a boy, Kiara, and Kiara's first grade teacher told me, Kiara don't know nothing. I'm like, well, thank you. Thank you for that. Well, <laughs> Kiara, really who nice. don't know nothing, would come into my classroom. He comes in one day. He's like, hey, Mr. Purcell, you see Barkley last night? He had 18 points, 16 boards. I'm like, Thank you, Kiara. From that day forward, every day after lunch, I'd sit Kiara on my lap and we, we would read the LA Times sports page together. 
And would you know it, by the end of the year, Kiara was one of my best readers. And I, I'll tell you right now, Karen, that kid never read anything but sports, but he became a really good reader. Now, yeah. do I think you have to broad? and we've talked about this, I think you have to have a much broader reading. I mean, I think it's important to read poetry. I think it's important to read a little bit of fiction, a little bit of nonfiction. You know, I, I mean, you definitely need to learn how to read technically. I mean, right. uh, when was the last time one of your attorneys was assigned, hey, I need you to read this novel? No, not as, you know... <laughs> right. <laughs> you have to read briefs and things like right. that. But actually, right. And actually, I used to work for a law firm as a paralegal, and it was it was almost as fun as when I was a journalist because you get to learn all these new things. I mean, uh, we once uh, we used to represent large corporations with frivolous lawsuits filed against them, and it was fascinating just learning, you know, all these little schemes that people were. I did a, I researched once uh, the number one workers' comp claim in America. 80% of workers' comp claims are carpal tunnel syndrome, repetitive oh stress in injuries. And I just yeah. learned all this, you know, I learned that the reason when you go to the grocery store and the checkout clerk has wristbands is that's required by uh, by OSHA in, in order to reduce uh, carpal tunnel. It was just fascinating. I mean, I, as an attorney, that's kind of cool. Or learning, you know, if, it, if it's a murder and learning how... It's like watching CSI or something. Well, how, right. does, how does this weapon fire and learning all the logistics behind that? I always found that to be the most interesting thing. And so people that think that they're not reading, I'm like, actually, you are reading all the time. I mean, you might not be reading the way we've defined it in the past. Yeah. And I think for, for me and a lot of the people I know, they're reading, but it's it's not quality reading and they end up wasting time on their phone. So they're, they may be reading articles or really brief things here and there, but I found once I started really tracking it and keep and making sure that I was reading books and setting my phone down, and like, and I use a Kindle, so picking up the Kindle instead to totally block off all of those possible distractions, then I could say, this is a piece of cake. I'm clearly reading all day long, but that's emails and all that other, you know, boring stuff that's not, um, but for me, it was important to have it be different than the kinds of stuff that I was yeah. reading all day long. And I know my sister-in-law is a judge. She can't watch those kinds of <laughs> shows, um, you know, cause it's like watching work, you know, yeah. so she can't watch kind of like police mystery shows or like CSA, like you were describing mm -hmm. that the stuff that the rest of us look at and think, Oh, that's kind of different and whatever. That's her work all day. So that's the last thing she wants to watch. Yeah. So for that reason, I feel like it's important for you to find that thing that really, especially for me during this pandemic, has been transforming me into a different place, feeling like I'm not sitting here stuck in my house, you know, for these last right. two years. And so I read a lot of um, things that are in totally different parts of the world, totally different times, you know, different times in history, places where I'm like, okay, I am, when, when I get really into it, uh, I am there. And, you know, when you were talking about the audiobook, I was going to come back to that too, because I know a lot of people who only listen to audiobooks and they downplay that and somehow downgrade that kind of along the lines of those kids books. And for me, when I really get into a book, I don't really even see the words anymore. I'm mm -hmm. hearing it. So I don't see any difference. Yeah. And, you know, in calling it reading, whether you're listening to it or you have the physical book or you've got it in your ear. So it all counts. It's all important. And whether you're hearing it from an audiobook or not. Yeah, the last book that I wrote um, 
here, I'll plug my last book. This is called uh, Leadership Begins with Motivation. So um, when I was a middle school teacher, Karen, I was the only teacher in the history of my school not to have any students that were tardy. And it's because I always started off my class, I'd read aloud a, a, a Paul Harvey story. I, I don't know if you're old enough to remember Paul Harvey. I grew up listening to Paul Harvey on the radio. Every day at 12:15, he'd come on and say, I, I'm Paul Harvey with the rest of the story. He passed away about uh, three years ago at the age of 325 years old. <laughs> but my kids always love listening to his stories because they're always about five minutes long and you're trying to guess who's he talking about or what's the company he's talking about. But I realized that a lot of the stories I was reading was about like the founding of Sears Roebuck. Well, my kids didn't even know what Sears and Roebuck were. So I'm like, oh, right. I, need to, I need to write a more modern version with uh, updated people that the kids would actually know about. So if I may, I'm going to share one real yes. quick. So these are, this is just a quick one for the kids. So on the morning of January 17th, 1977, Gary Gilmore, in a plain T-shirt, strapped into a chair with a bag over his head, awaited a firing squad of five law enforcement officers to execute him at the state prison in Draper, Utah. Convicted of murdering a gas station employee and motel manager in Utah the year before, Gilmore would be the first person in the United States to be executed in nearly a decade. Shortly before his execution, prison officials asked Gilmore if he had any last words. Neither he nor anyone else that day would know the impact of those words. Over 10 years later, in 1988, Dan Whedon, an advertising executive who co-founded the Whedon and Kennedy Agency in Portland, Oregon, made something of a morbid pitch to a struggling fashion company. He recalled the inmate's final words and used a slight variation for his pitch, and seemingly everyone hated his idea for the company's new slogan. Just trust me on this one, Whedon implored the company's co-founder. And the co-founder, his company, and the public have not looked back since. The co-founder's name was Phil Knight. The struggling brand he co-founded was a shoe company called Nike. And advertising executive Dan Whedon slightly altered death row inmate Gary Gilmore's final words, let's do it, into the phrase, just do it. Oh, I love it. Yeah, these are the types of stories, even with my three kids, I like to, because my dad did that when I was growing up. My dad was an American history major and he was... He always gave us great bedtime stories. And I think this is a lost art. I think it's kind of, Absolutely. Here's a, yeah, yeah, it's a tip. And you can do this with your kids and your husband too. So my wife and my three kids and I, we all have different books. And so my wife and I, she's into this series by Beth Brower called um, The Unselected Journals of Emma M. Lyon. They're just great. They're like, yeah. take place in England. They're lots of fun. My oldest daughter and I are reading, uh, what's it called? It's like, it's called Shadows and Bones. It's this, it's this uh, futuristic, uh, it's not really futuristic, it's a fantasy kind of story. My son, he's into the Civil War, and so we're reading The Killer Angels by Michael Shira, which is about the Battle of Gettysburg. It's one of the best books I've ever read. And then oh, my, cool. my youngest daughter, I don't know why she's into literature. She's making me, I hate The Great Gatsby, but she's making me read The Great Gatsby to her. At least on this reading, I've always hated the story, but at least now I, I'm like, oh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, the guy really knows how to write a sentence. It's beautifully, yes. beautifully written. It's just, I hate the story. But uh, It's such a good exercise to read a book that you hate, though. Yeah, I mean, to is. just get it in is. there and kind of push yourself through it, especially if you know there's some reason you're doing it, not just to read it, just to kind of punish yourself. But for some reason, whether it's just to kind of bond with your daughter or yeah. there's something in there that you're going to get out of it. The fear I have about that, Karn, is because I'm trying to get people interested in reading and stuff. And I, 
it's one of the things that drives me nuts about America is we're taught to finish what we start. I'm like, well, yes. that's silly. You yes. know, if you're reading a book is like eating a piece of food. If you don't like the first taste, it's probably not going to get any, you know, like, yes. oh man, that's nasty. Maybe it gets let me, better. Let me, let me, oh <laughs> man, it's still nasty. It, yeah. If you don't yeah. like the first chapter, you're probably not going to like the second chapter. Read something else. I mean, that's right. I have a rule where I give a book 30 pages yeah, because sometimes, you know, usually I can tell within the first five or so yeah. pages. I can often tell in the first paragraph. I can tell for sure in the first paragraph I'm, I'm going to absolutely love it. Like if it, it, I just feel like I'm sinking right in. I'm like, oh, what is this? For sure the first five pages. And by page 30, I know 100%. Yeah. And so the idea of having that that stack of books on your nightstand is really kind of sad because yeah. there's so many, there's thousands of books every written every That's year. Right. So why are you letting those be the hurdle between you and something that you're going to love? So give it 30 pages. And here's my other tip that um, really was a game changer for me. I've got a Kindle, which I swore up and down for mm -hmm. years I would never do. And I absolutely love it because I carry it around with me all the time. And all of my books are library books. Mm. So I check all my books out through the Libby app connected to the Kindle. Yeah, Libby's phenomenal. I love Libby. It's That's amazing. <laughs> and the library shut down during the pandemic. Yeah. So I couldn't have got physical books. My idea of reading 100 books a year, if I didn't have rules around it, that wouldn't happen. If I didn't, and if I had to pay for all of them, I wouldn't read that many. And so that's thousands of dollars that I'm not spending on books yeah. every year because the library is one of society's greatest inventions, in my opinion. I completely agree. Amen. I'm the Baptist in your front row saying amen. <laughs> all right. Awesome. All right. So we covered your book recommendation. We were kind of covering it, A Time to Kill. We, of course, are going to link to your website, also your Lazy Readers uh, book club, which is amazing you mentioned as well. So what's a takeaway? What's one takeaway that you'd like the uh, listeners to get from this episode? Well, as a thank you for them bearing and bearing with me this, this hour, <laughs> uh, I wanted to give everybody a complimentary copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed. So if you just go to freegiftfromdanny.com, and I know you'll have it in the show notes, freegiftfromdanny.com, you'll get a copy of Read, Lead, and Succeed. It's a book I wrote for a school principal who was trying to keep his faculty positively engaged. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. So uh, every week I give you a concept. I give you an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation that demonstrates the same concept. You can read that in five minutes. We need people more excited about reading because the more excited you are to read, the more likely you are to read, and the more you read, the better you get. Now, I know uh, all of your listeners, people that listen to podcasts are generally people that uh, want to get better in all elements of their life. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it makes you a better person. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you can really, for me, when I get inside, especially a fiction story about another person in another time, I really feel like I can understand it at a level yeah. that you, you could maybe sort of get a piece of in a movie, but it's just not quite the same when it's you're hearing the words inside your head and it's going on for, you know, all those hours that you're really dedicated to that book. You really, you really can't pretend like you, that you're just kind of this isolated person and you don't understand other people's experiences when you're reading. And, and isn't that the most important thing about being a litigator? I mean, uh, yes. what I love about the law is it, it forces you to consider multiple points of view. Yeah. And that's what I love. I, I, I'm a, 
among my many hats is I'm a visiting distinguished professor at the American University in Cairo. Say that five times. That's a long one. (laughs) And before the pandemic, I was in Cairo for a month and uh, I like going to different schools and doing programs for parents. And so it was, I went to this Muslim school. It was two o'clock in the afternoon, Karn, 400 people showed up. I couldn't believe it. Uh, It was like the Muslim brotherhood. All the guys had the long beards, all the women were in burqas. And we were talking like you and I are talking right now. And I thought, shame on me. And uh, it was like the greatest speech I'd ever given. I I started off, I said, well, I was reading this book. Have any of you ever read the Koran? And they all laughed. I'm like, oh, well, then you know the story. When the angel Gabriel appears to Muhammad in the cave, what's his first instruction of Muhammad? Because the first pillar of Islam is to read. And so Uh. I I looked at them and I said, so not only should we get your kids reading, it's actually written in your holiest of texts. It's your duty to get your kids reading. And I had 400 heads doing this. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, who would have thought the Christian guy's ideal audience is the Muslim school? Yes. I mean, it's incredible. But the whole point of that story is I had a lot of preconceptions. And it wasn't yeah. until having exposure. And a lot of those exposures I get now in books. I mean, uh, uh, when I read uh, The Kite Runner by Khalid Hosseini, yes, it's one of the most beautifully written. Oh, my gosh. It's one, beautiful. So beautifully. Uh, there's a great line in that book where he writes, uh, children aren't coloring books. You don't get to fill them in with your favorite colors. Uh. And the point is, our job as parents is to fill the kids in with their favorite colors, yep. not our favorite colors. But I, yes. it just that's what I love about reading is it forces me to consider different points of view. And if there's one thing I would, I would really suggest to all of the uh, audience here, especially being attorneys, is you should always – it's just like – I'm I'm kind of a contrarian, and if I'm in a room full of Republicans, I like to be the Democrat. And if I'm in a room full of Democrats, I like to be the Republican. Actually, now I don't really care. The two best things I did during the pandemic was I stopped watching the news because it was negative, and I bought this spray bottle. So now whenever somebody talks to me about politics, I just spray them in the face. I'm like, (laughs) no, no, no politics. I like solutions, not gripes. So uh, (laughs) I don't even know where I'm going. Yeah, that's right. You were saying if if there is one... One thing, if you're in a room with people and you give them the one piece of advice when, you know, about reading and did you have that answer? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Multiple points of view. You should consider different people's points. Of, I mean, it's, I mean, especially like if you're a criminal prosecutor or something, it's, it's important to consider not just the victim's families. Think yep. about the, the family of the person that committed the crime or if yep. they committed the crime or I'm trying to get in the head. That's what I love about the Thomas Harris books with uh, Hannibal Lecter is yeah. the, the guy that cap in, um, in Red Dragon, Will Graham, the guy that captured uh, Hannibal Lecter, he got into the mind of how did I know what he was thinking? I mean, yeah. well, you have to, and I think we would be much better served you know, the older I get, and I'm getting pretty old now, the the more I realize I don't really know that much. And I right. can learn a lot. I need to shut up and listen to people. And yeah. I might not agree with them, but uh, I will consider their point of view. It's interesting. Yeah, and that doesn't even get into the uh, the thought process of a jury and all yeah. of those people on a jury and how, and then there's the judge and there's, you know, how all of these different people are going to process all of those details. I mean, yeah. there is so many layers there that if you're not thinking about it, you're just not going to do a good job. Yeah. Like it's just, you know, it really needs to be part of not just your job, but your life in general. Yeah. So 
that is a, that's a great place to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to end it. I think just kind of being a human, it makes you a better human. It does. It does. Dr. Danny Purcell, thank you so much for being here. I love, we could go on for hours probably talking about books, but I just think it's such an important part of people's lives and to make sure that however you can to find a way to bring it in and make you a better person. This is a great conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for all you do, Karin. God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.